You're listening to Ottawa's Baseball Show. It's Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis on CKDJ 107.9, home of the Ottawa Champions. Welcome to the only baseball show in Ottawa. You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Ottawa's new music, the October 29th edition of Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Check out our podcast on SoundCloud and find me on Twitter at Diamond Dante. As always, I'm your host, Diamond Dante. Join with me for a second week in a row is Corey Mess. Corey, welcome back, brother. Thank you very much for having me here, Dante. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to be here two weeks in a row. It's World Series season, so uh, there's just baseball in the air, it feels like. And Base- snow in the air. Baseball is just... Co- yeah, we'll talk about the snow, eh? <laughs> baseball is coming to an end as we speak about that. Uh, coming up later in the show, we'll be talked, uh, we will talk with uh, Sportsnet's Talib Steve as he's going to come on to talk about the Blue Jays season. Their plans going into the offseason. We'll give in our little two cents uh, coming up later in the show. Then we'll talk with... Uh, Edwin Carl, right after Taub Steve, from the Winnipeg Gold Eyes and the American Association. Carl pitched with the Royals and Dodgers system, reaching as high as double-A. Pitched in the Atlantic League, has some stories to talk about that. And then uh, to finish things off, we're going to talk about this year's Gold Glove finalists. Uh, Corey, of course, uh, with Edwin Carl, he's in Ottawa right now. And he said he's going back to New Mexico because the snow was just killing him. But his girlfriend's from Ottawa. And uh, he's spending some time here and was asking, he said he was training with Seb Boucher. Yeah, and I mean, there's uh, there's not a whole lot of guys in this city who you'd rather train with than Seb Boucher. Maybe the most experienced baseball guy in Ottawa runs his camps, has his own batting cages uh, on the Gatineau side, and and yeah, if there if there's one guy you want to coach, it's maybe the be- as a pitcher, it's maybe the best hitter um, uh, or one of the best Canadian hitters uh, uh, from the Ottawa area that we've ever seen. One of the best players from the Ottawa area, yeah, of course, absolutely. in Seb Boucher. So I guess you can't go wrong with that. Edwin had mentioned that uh, he went to Boucher, Boucher's kind of cage down there in Gatineau, his, mm-hmm. his, his facility, and uh, did some great stuff. Going to maybe talk about uh, talk to Seb lot later down the road uh, going into uh, next season. But for now, we're talking uh, MLB playoffs, the Cubs, and Indians going at it. Definitely a really good World Series matchup because both teams do things in different ways. The Cubs just find a way to to win ball games with their lineup from one to nine in terms of even their pitchers as well. And we'll talk about Kyle Schwarber and talk about the Indians bullpen and, and Tito Francona and the way he's been able to utilize this team and bring them to the playoffs. Well, and you say the Cubs just find ways to win games. To me, the, the Indians are the teams that just finds a way to win games. Uh, I, I think the Cubs are clearly the more talented team in this series in terms of their lineup. Uh, but the Indians have kept it very close, and they looked like the better team in Game 1. You know, uh, I, I think the Indians don't have a lot of household names. Carlos Santana is maybe the biggest name on that team. But even someone like Francisco Lindor, going into this playoffs, I don't think a lot of people knew no. that Francisco Lindor or might be the next Derek Jeter. He's he's that good of a shortstop, and he's that good of a hitting shortstop. You talk about two shortstops, infielders, whatever you want to call it, Lindor and, and Javier Baez are two Puerto Rican guys that yeah. are definitely representing their countries uh, with a good name. Going back to Carlos Beltran, one of the best Puerto Rican players ever, the game's got two of them right here in this World Series, Corey. Maybe it's something to do with uh, with Puerto Rican guys, Dante, dominating in the playoffs. Yeah. Because that's the kind of guy Carlos Beltran was. Kind of flew under the radar during the regular season. But whether it was with the Astros or whether it was uh, later in his career with the Cardinals. Um, uh, the Mets. He was always, uh, the, the Mets, excuse me. He was always dynamite during the playoffs. Don't think he won a World Series. 
Cardinals, Royals. He won with the Cardinals, I believe. I could be wrong. No, it was Alan Craig in right field. That was the year Chambers won in 11. He was still with He was with the Giants in 2011. Not the Cardinals second time around? Second time around, they went... Uh, they went to the World Series, lost to the Red Sox. Excuse me. Yeah. Right. Beltron was the right fielder. Chambers talked about Beltron too. He said, class act, one of his, two of his favorite teammates ever, Carlos Beltron and Rafael Fracal. I mean, those are, uh, those are two pretty good guys to have as <laughs> Two Puerto as Ricans. Favorites. Yeah. And um, maybe Chambers just gets along with uh, Puerto Ricans better. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, too bad the champions didn't have any Puerto Ricans, at least. But Maybe make him feel more comfortable. Although I think he was very comfortable in the city of Ottawa. Yeah, he was. Uh, spent a little bit, uh, an extra month here in Ottawa. But no one would ever thought, people thought the Cubs would make the World Series, right? But no one would have thought that the Indians would have gone this far. Yeah, no, I, I don't think anyone expected the Indians to get this far. Um, but but they are very similar to the Red Sox team from a few years ago, from 2013. Wow. Um, and and it's funny because David Ross is on the on the other side this time around. But um, it, it's, a, it's a very similar team to that where you have... John Lester, a, a too, is on the Cubs. Offs. Yeah, exactly. You have a lot of cast-offs. You have a lot of guys who um, maybe maybe individually aren't the best player at that position, but together this team makes a, a very good team. Well, you're putting all these players' names in my mind. Mike Napoli was on that Red Sox team in 2013. He's on the Indians. Can you believe that? Yeah, three guys. Uh, three guys from that team. From that team are in this series. Andrew Miller was also on the 2013 World Series team. Never ending. Never ending. I, I'm trying to think if there was anyone else, but also you talk about Carlos Santana being the biggest name. I think that Corey John Kruger, Lackey? Yeah. <laughs> we could go for a bit here. I, I think, yeah, I, I think we could go for a while. Um, I mean, this is, I mean, I'm sure there's guys in the bullpen or something like that that we just haven't thought of mm-hmm. that are definitely uh, making uh, making names here. But, of course, the Indians have been able to find a way to win. But one thing I want to mention with the Cubs is Javier Baez, a few years ago when he came up from the minor leagues, had a lot of power but couldn't hit for average and, you know, was playing okay defense but hadn't, like a lot of people were saying, well, this guy's not going to be an everyday player. Of course, with Addison Russell, offseason comes, they trade away Starling Castro. Javier Baez, you're our second baseman. No, absolutely. And and I think that he makes himself an everyday player because of his defense. And he's hit the ball very well here in the playoffs. Yeah. The energy in, in, too. In the regular season, in the regular season, he still didn't hit great for average, and I still think that's something he needs to improve on. But a lot of shown, strikeouts. He can, he's shown he can do it here in the playoffs. He is a value, I think, because of that power. But he might be the best defensive player in the league, and so it's uh, it, it's hard to keep him out of the lineup. Well, at that point, since because you know Baez wasn't hitting the ball as well in terms of average and striking out a lot, Joe Madden says, "All right, you're going to play left field, center field, right field, third base, shortstop, second base, first base." There you go. Mm-hmm. I can pencil you in the lineup every time, just like Ben Zobras, just like what they've done with Chris Bryant. Well, and he's a true, the true utility man, right? So if yeah. you have six games in a week, you can rest five guys, play, Especially him, in the at National all, League. play him at all those positions, yeah. and then he gets to rest on the last You day. can throw him anywhere in the lineup. Exactly. Lead off, second. He, he hits seven to eight. And still hits the ball out of the ballpark, does things. He has, he has the power to hit fifth if you need him to hit fifth. Yeah, he you can you can really do all kinds of things with him. Ben Zobras two two years in a row on this Cubs team with on won the World Series with the Royals last year. Yeah, yeah, and and well, and that's kind of how Ben Zobras came up with the Tampa Bay Rays. A guy who could play second, a guy who could play left field, a guy who could play third base. Every year, it seems like when they needed to fill a hole, they would put him in that position. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And and it just goes back to, I think, Joe Madden being a bit of a guru. He uh, To nail anyone down in certain positions, and, and he's never really been a guy like that. And so you're seeing these guys who he can put out on any day. Chris Coughlin's another one yeah. who can play all three outfield positions, can do whatever Joe Madden needs for him in the outfield, and, and still gives puts up huge numbers. And I think that's just... Again, a Joe Madden guru thing, so good with his day-to-day lineups. Um, he really changes things for the Cubs. I think one guy that just is always penciled in at the same position is Dexter Fowler. And, and of course, at the not even at the catching position, because they change things around. They have three catchers on their roster. But uh, Dexter Fowler and Anthony Rizzo are the two guys that are always penciled in. No, absolutely. But even Dexter Fowler, we saw take a rest in this series. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, it's hard to move those guys with Tampa Bay. He had Evan Longoria, who was always his third baseman, right? Sometimes you just have guys who are, that is their position. But he's been very good at finding guys who can do all kinds of different things. And, and he's used them very well. Now, you look at the Indians, of course, Lonnie Chisinau playing right field made a huge mistake the other day and, and costed them a run. He slipped and fell and he missed the cutoff, man. They were talking about it on MLB Network. As a right fielder, a former third baseman with a, the arm that he has, you need to keep those mistakes low. You can't be doing that. Well, and if you thought Lonnie Chisenhall was bad, we get to see in Chicago these next few nights. Um, oh. uh, we get to see Carlos Santana in left field. And if we thought uh, Chisenhall was a disaster in right, I worry about any balls hit to left field towards Carlos Santana because he's a subpar f- defensive first baseman. Doesn't play first. He's a uh, I, DH. I, exactly. <laughs> and and so I think he is going to be a sub-subpar left fielder. Um, but they need his bat in the lineup. Yeah, they do. They do need his bat. Carlos Perez has really had an excellent postseason. Yeah, I mean, three home runs in the uh, in the regular season. He's already hit, uh, I think, four. Three, four home runs in the postseason. So maybe an Albert Cartwright type with uh, <laughs> uh, with Perez, the catcher. But he seems to be, um, I, from from what we've seen, I, I wasn't too familiar with him, but he seems to be an A-plus defensive catcher yeah and if he can add just a little bit of that power he's going to be so uh, such a good player puerto rican guy too another one another puerto rican they say puerto rico is the king of catchers adrian chambers would have been friends with him maybe is it the king of catcher just because of all the molinas though like, uh, I think that, <laughs> that no ivan be... rodriguez too okay that makes Pudge, sense. baby he was good all the the 13 molinas that have played in the three major leagues. <laughs> Uh, three, all of them went to the World Series. So, really successful family. But that's going to wrap up this segment. Before we go uh, into our interview with Taub, Steve from Sportsnet, Corey, predictions. I don't know if this series makes it back to Cleveland, Dante. I don't wow. know if this series is going to make it back to Cleveland. You don't think that, I mean, going into Chicago? I think, I think for sure the Cubs will win two games at home. It might be a clean sweep. They might win all three. It might be a five-game series. I'm taking the Cleveland Indians. Whoa! (laughs) I'm taking the Indians, baby. Hot I picked the Indians to make the World Series. I'm going hard. I'm going all the way. All right? That's it. And with that... Indians and what? Indians, they're going to win two. Chicago's going to win two. The Indians are in the West at home. It's going to game seven. I say Cubs in five. Well, there you have it. Predictions for the playoffs from Diamond Dante and former inside man, used to be the inside man, but is acting like the inside man, Corey Mess. That's going to wrap up this first segment. 
Stay tuned because coming up next, we are going to be joined with Taub Steeb from Sportsnet.ca. He just wrote a new article on his website and is also uh, coming down the road with a new article about the Blue Jays bullpen. You're going to want to stay tuned for that on Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9. As always, I'm your host, Diamond Dante. Corey has just stepped out, but joining me over the phone is Sportsnet's Tau of Steve to talk about the Blue Jays' season's end. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Hey, my pleasure. Absolutely. And of course, Tao, you're coming off a, a great article uh, in which you can find and read on sportsnet.ca. Just type in on Google's search bar, uh, Tao of Steve. In the article, you talk about the Blue Jays' month of September and the lack of offense uh, through the rest of the season. Did you feel, just from you know what you were writing about, actually just came out a day ago, did you feel that it was the reason the Blue Jays couldn't score against the Indians and the season came to you know uh, a closing just a, a week ago was because of the lack of offense and just uh, them not being able to score as much runs as like they did last year? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess in the the first and last month, uh, and then through some of the playoffs, that was really the challenge for them was uh, was being able to score. You know, I think that there is a little bit of a, a I guess, a false narrative on some level about the idea that uh, that they were a swing for the fences team, and the fact that they couldn't, you know, choke up on the back, go the other way, whatever, was the reason why they didn't do well in the end. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that as much as anything, this is a team that their lineup, which was very long last year, which had lots of contributors this year, I think that really shortened up at, at certain points and really to the point where um, they were leaning really heavily on Josh Donaldson and Edwin Encarnacion to carry them. And you look at that season with the Cleveland Indians, Tal, it, it wasn't like the, the Indians weren't backing away. They were pitching outside, but Andrew Miller, as soon as he came into the game, you talk about um, you know Shaw and the rest of that bullpen. They were throwing it inside, but just the Blue Jays just couldn't capitalize on it. Yeah, I mean, the, the Blue Jays uh, really got fed uh, an extraordinary amount of breaking balls in that series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, a greater percentage than I think than I've ever seen. And it was amazing just to see curveball after curveball uh, and, and slurves and whatever it is that Corey Kluber <laughs> throws. It's, uh, it's somewhere between a slider and a curve and a, and a cutter. And, and you know, Cleveland was getting calls on the outside edges of the, uh, of the zone quite a bit. And sometimes they were valid. And sometimes I think it was they carried the umpire's eyes out uh, to the edge and beyond of the zone and, and you know full credit to uh, Cleveland for doing that you know um, they I think that they had a great series um, you know it's playoff baseball and, and they did it as well as I, I think I've seen 
Now, of course, that's Sportsnet's Taub Steve joining us here on Around the Diamond. Just coming off a, uh, a really good article on sportsnet.ca that you can find on Google by typing in Taub Steve. Now, of course, um, you talked about in your article a little bit about, you know, the Jays not being able to hold a huge division lead and, you know, a little bit about the disappointment. But do you feel that, you know, two years in a row making the playoffs, getting baseball back in Canada and getting people, you know, feeling for the sport again was as much a, as a disappointment as some people are saying it is? Well, I mean, that's the thing. I think if you want to look at one place where there was absolute success for the Blue Jays this year, uh, it was certainly at the turnstiles and the fact that they were number one in the American League and I think number three in the majors in terms of attendance. Um, you know, it, it's definitely turned things around. The, the TV ratings are through the roof. So there's a lot, I think, that, uh, that we can look at as a great success and hopefully – you know, success breeds more success in terms of uh, being able to feed into the payroll possibly and to be able to continue to build a winner out of this. So so that, I think, is, is really important out of what's uh, come out of the last year. Um, you know, the, I, I, otherwise, I mean, it, it certainly it isn't a disappointment to have them make the playoffs. And if you'd asked me before the season, I think my guess was around 91 or 92 wins. Um over 162 games to come within a couple of uh, wins of that mark, I think, is actually uh, not a bad situation. It just it was an odd season that you know they they never led by more than two games in the division. Mm-hmm. Um, they spent a lot of time chasing uh, chasing the Orioles and even the Yankees and, and the Red Sox down to some extent, um, and. I think the first moment where Jays fans could kind of uh, exhale and enjoy the season was after Edwin Encarnacion hit the uh, home run in the wild card. Uh, because, I mean, it was really, uh, you know, the fans were on tenterhooks right up to that point. Yeah, of course, you're right about that. And, and you know, you look at what the Jays were able to do this season. They, they definitely had good pitching, which is something that was, you know, there towards the end of the season last year with the acquisition of David Price. But I want to look over to, you know, something else that has been talked about, and that's the Blue Jays bullpen. Your colleague, uh, Mike Wilner, you know, wrote an article about what are the Jays' option, options going into the offseason and into next season about their bullpen. You look at what they came in with, with you know, Jesse Chavez, uh, Drew Storen, Roberto Osuno. Those were the, the three guys that they thought were really going to step things up, but it came down to you know Joe Biagini, of course Roberto Osuna was there, Jason Grilly, and towards the end of the end of it, you know they picked up some guys from the minor leagues and whatnot. At this point, what you know, what does the bullpen situation look like for you in your eyes? What do they need to do in the offseason going forward in order to keep things going on that side of things? You know, I mean bullpens are always so hard to figure out how you build them and how you get success with them, and you know even. If you take a look at someone like Andrew Miller, I mean, Andrew Miller is a failed starter, and that's yeah. what he was supposed to be. And he sort of languished for a couple of years before uh, the back half of one season suddenly becoming a, a star and, and now becoming, I think, a real central focus of what's happened in the uh, playoffs. And I think, actually, that's going to be the interesting thing is to see how teams approach the bullpen next year and whether or not if – what has happened with Cleveland and the way that they managed their bullpen, not just in the playoffs, but down the stretch, um, with Miller becoming essentially the bullpen ace who they bring in at any time. And then they have a ninth inning guy who I guess is their closer, but, you know, having 
two guys in those roles, and and that might determine what the Blue Jays do next year. You know, uh, for me, I think looking ahead to 2018, we don't want to skip too far ahead, but I think looking ahead to 2018, uh, I think that the Jays should consider a scenario where they have Biagini and Osuna ready to be starters, and if they're going to do that and avoid a lot of the discussion that they had this year around Aaron Sanchez, then I think they should really have those guys become swingmen, become guys who uh, pitch over 100 innings next year, either uh, through starts or just uh, two inning uh, games in the bullpen or, or what have you. So, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. I, I, I mean, honestly, you know, bullpens, I think they do get sort of built on the run. Um, if the Blue Jays wanted to give somebody a three-year contract as a reliever a few years ago, I would have thought that was crazy. But, <laughs> you know, each season you end up chasing guys down to try and fill those roles. So, you know, if someone like Brett Cecil were to get three years from the Blue Jays um, as a free agent, that wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing. But... You know, I, I think also even taking a look at what starters uh, are available that you can maybe switch into those roles and see, you know, if you can take a couple of their pitches away and say, okay, you know what, you're going to go out and you're going to be a fastball change-up guy and let's see if the stuff plays up. That's what worked for Joe Biagini last year. That's Sportsnet's Tau of Steve here with us on Around the Diamond. Follow him at Twitter on uh, Sportsnet's Tau of Steve. Uh, of course, now I wanted to. Uh, you mentioned the Cleveland Indians and the way that they've utilized their bullpen. I want to move over to, of course, one of the better managers in in recent history, and that's you know Tito Francona of the Cleveland Indians. Now he had Andrew Miller with the Boston Red Sox when he won. Uh, actually, no, that was John Farrell. Uh, sorry, actually, I don't even know why I said that. But anyways, John Farrell had uh, Andrew Miller, who was you know starting to come into his own as a reliever with the Boston Red Sox, was eventually traded to the Orioles and signed with the Yankees in the offseason. They won the World Series with him, but I don't remember, if, as I don't know if you do, if John Farrell had utilized um, Andrew Miller like Tito Francona is right now. Uh, you know, as I recall it, uh, Miller was used sort of as a seventh, eighth uh, inning guy uh, through that season. Um, uh, I'm just I'm looking back here now and just trying to to remember. Um, he was a good reliever. I mean, his ERA was under two at that point. With he was a setup man with the Red Sox. I just don't remember if if he had actually uh, been as big. Uh, in terms of the playoffs and as a left-handed reliever as he is right now. Yeah, so he only, he's only pitched in the playoffs with Baltimore in 2014, uh, the Yankees in 2015, and then Cleveland this year. So um, so he wouldn't have been on that World wow. roster, I don't believe, for the uh, Red Sox. Um, because, yeah, he did go to Baltimore, uh, and I think that that year he's a guy who who you know his time as a closer um wasn't there uh, well i mean it was sort of off and on but uh but in any case I, you know i think um nobody's used him the way that francona has used him this year and i i think it's a great idea and as i've taken the call in a, you know uh 
the bullpen ace as opposed to the closer. And again, being able to pull him in in the fifth inning, uh, sixth inning, I mean, I saw regular season games this year where he was being pulled in in those situations. And, you know, the Boston series between uh, Cleveland and Boston this year and game one, uh, Francona treated that as a must-win game that they needed to get that win and brought uh, brought Miller in in the fifth inning, I believe, in that game. And I, I love that usage. I'd love to see uh, more teams do that when they need to lock something down in the early innings because it could be that that's going to be the time that you uh, really need to do it. Now, of course, Tal, I want, I want to move back over to you know our Blue Jays talk here Two Gold Glove finalists announced Kevin Pillar and R.A. Dickey. Kevin, let's talk a little bit about Kevin Pillar. Of course, he has a very tough time winning this Gold Glove. Of course, Jackie Bradley Jr. and Kevin Kiermaier are also in his way. Of course, Kiermaier was in his way last year. Do you feel that Pillar has a pretty good chance of winning the Gold Glove with you know those two other big guys in front of him? Uh, I think there's a possibility that he will win it, uh, if nothing else, than because of the fact that he played more of the season than Kiermaier did. Kiermaier was out for a fair chunk of the season, and yep. so it's possible that, uh, you know, uh, especially given the fact that the Gold Glove is uh, voted on by uh, coaches and managers, uh, it's possible that there's just going to end up being some of them that, you know, missed uh, Kiermaier on their turnaround. So, that, I mean... Uh, if you look at defensive runs saved, Kiermaier in about 400 fewer innings had four more defensive runs saved uh, over the year than uh, Pilar does. I mean, maybe the bigger thing here is that they changed the gold gloves about uh, nine, ten years ago where now they do specifically a left field, center field, right field. Yeah. But the truth is, is that your best outfielders are always going to be center fielders. And so, you know, to me, I, I think that they should go back to that because that's where basically, you know, your three best outfielders uh, in the American League are. Or I guess, uh, you know, if you were giving gold gloves to Kiermaier, Pilar, and uh, Mookie Betts, uh, who is a right fielder, I mean, to me, that's uh, those should be your gold glove winners right there. But you know, as a result of the fact that they're going to have to pick a, a left fielder, then Pilar may well lose. And if he is fortunate enough to win, then, you know, I think Kiermaier is going to not get one, even though he is a generational talent in, in center field as a defender. Well, you just speak about, you know, guys being your best defenders in center field. Mookie Betts could be a center fielder if Jackie Bradley's not there, you know? I mean, that's what it really what it comes down to at this point. There's guys that do play right field that have, you know, some excellent defensive skills. And even in left field, they look at, you know, Ioannis Cespedes, who was a left fielder for most of his career when he came into the league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Cespedes does actually end up getting switched around by the Mets a little bit and played a little bit of center field, but I think he is a guy who's better off as a left fielder, in part because his arm is his best tool and that plays up in a corner as opposed to, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that UNS doesn't always take the best routes to balls. Uh, sometimes he tries to compensate with uh, speed um, for taking bad routes. And so, uh, so in any case, no, I, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm just trying to look here quickly to see, at, you know, who is, the AL left fielder who has 
you know, the best defensive run saved. And, you know, the one that's popping up here for me is Brett Gardner. Well, Brett Gardner, again, to your point, he's a center fielder. He just happens to play left because, um, you know, out of circumstance. You know, Jake Marisnik is right there. And, and uh, weirdly enough, Colby Rasmus. Uh, wow. Uh, uh, has 14 defensive runs saved. And again, that's all coming from his arm. So I think it's people um, trying to run on him and him uh, managing to uh, to either prevent uh, people from moving up or, or throwing people out on the bases. So um, so in any case, I, uh, to me, I would just much rather see a situation where you had uh, three outfielders as opposed to left, uh, center, right. And then I think you would get three very worthy uh, recipients every year. Well, you, you speak of that point and the point that you had made just now with you know your left fielders and guys running on that. I'm going to take this out of Hal Lanier's book, the manager of the Ottawa Champions. He said, the reason why my best arm and Matt Helms of the Champions are left fielder is playing left field because he has the best arm in the Can-Am League. He had 13 outfield assists this year. And it's because when there's a hit to left field, there's a guy at second base. The manager's going to send him home every time. So I guess that's why, I mean, left fielders do uh, have a good arm and why you put a guy with a good arm in left field to that point, at least. Yeah, I mean, there used to be a sense that because the longest throw that you would have would be the right field to third base throw. Yeah. But I think at this point in the game, I mean, I, I don't know how many times that you see somebody throw a guy out at third base from right field. And frankly you're probably better off in some ways having a guy who has a good, strong, accurate arm from left field in the way that uh, Alex Gordon plays the game. And, yes. and and I think that's probably what has benefited Rasmus uh, this year. So, you know, I, 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 I think that there was a time in the 80s and 90s where you would see a lot of that, where you'd see a Jesse Barfield or, or you know, uh, Ellis Valentine uh, throwing guys out at third. I just think that the game has changed enough where guys, if they're going to third, they go and when they know that they're going to make it. And if they know that they're not going to, they're not going to uh, run into an out at third. And, and so on that level, having a really good, strong arm in left that can keep guys at first or, or keep guys from going to third, I think that makes a lot of sense. So cheers to Hal for that. Yeah, well, there you go. Hal, uh, manager, uh, manager of the year in 1986, definitely has a lot of experience bringing it to the Can-Am League. That's going to wrap up this interview, Tao. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep you stay, we'll stay tuned with you in the offseason because I'm sure the Jays are going to have a lot of moves to make. Uh, absolutely, and I'll be writing on the bullpen for next week, so some of the stuff that, uh, that I chatted with you about, uh, you'll hopefully read a fully fleshed uh, version of that on Sportsnet at the beginning of the next week. Well, there you go. Follow him uh, on Twitter, at Tao Steve. He posts all of his articles, and find him on sportsnet.ca. Tao, once again, thanks for joining us, and uh, uh, we'll have a chance to read that article next week. Okay, sounds good. Welcome back to the only baseball show in Ottawa. You're listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079. As always, I'm your host, Diamond Dante. Our co-host, Corey Mess, has stepped out, but joining me over the phone is Edwin Carl. Edwin Carl is a starting pitcher for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes and played in the Dodgers and Kansas City Royals organization, reaching as high as AA. Edwin, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, and hello, Ottawa. 
Yeah, so I, I just to start things off, a little segue to uh, what you had just said is, of course, you're, you're spending some time in Ottawa right now. How do you like the city and, and everything that's uh, about Ottawa? You spend some time downtown a little bit, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, so far, so good. Uh, every, every time I come back to Ottawa, I you know, meet some new, new people and try a new restaurant, check out some new places. Uh, right now, I'm kind of wondering why I'm still in Ottawa since it's snowing and Mm. The weather hasn't been the best. I'm looking forward to kind of heading down south to the States and, and get some sunshine and some warmth. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely don't have anything bad to say about Ottawa. Of course, you're from New, New Mexico, so a little bit different weather here, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if I've, I've gone more than three days without without sunshine in a row in New Mexico in a long time. So it's a little different, but uh, try to stay indoors as much as possible and stay warm. Now, since your time being here in Ottawa, have you been able to meet up with any of the players of the, you know, the independent league team in the Can-Am League, the Ottawa champions here? Um, not since I've been back after the season. Um, when I was out here in April, I, I met up with Seb and actually got to work out with him for a couple of weeks out in uh, Gatineau at his facility. So that was pretty cool. And hopefully we're, uh, we'll try to get together in the next, next week or so and uh, you know, catch up and see how the season went. Obviously, they won a championship as well. So, uh pretty cool to catch up. That's Edwin Carl, pitcher for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, joining us here on Around the Diamond. Now, I want to start off going back to the beginning of your career. Of course, you're from New Mexico. Uh, you, you were, believe, drafted out of high school. I'm not too sure because you hadn't committed to any colleges. How did you end up getting signed at the age of 21 by the Royals? Um, so, once once college got over, um, I thought I had a pretty good chance of, of getting drafted and talked to a lot of people. Um, got phone calls numerous times um, during the during the draft, and once that kind of didn't happen, I, I stuck around campus a little bit, helped out with some with some clinics and camps. Coaches tried to make some calls, try to try to reach all the contacts we could to, to get signed. And once uh, once a couple of weeks went by, uh, I was kind of like, you know what, I'm just kind of give it a rest, not think about it too much. You know, kind of go enjoy the summer since I haven't had one in, in a long time, and uh, luckily, luckily enough, I I was out on the lake wakeboarding, and you know, one of the coaches called, and you know, said the Royals were interested, and they called, and flew out the next day, and uh, you know, ever since then, everything's been pretty good. So, of course, I I looked at it a little bit into further notice, and I'd seen that you'd gone to the University of Mexico, then you had been side uh, just out of there. It's kind of different, I guess, for you to get signed rather than getting drafted, like obviously other guys that you see playing in the minor leagues at this point. I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, getting drafted and, and all that is a is a pretty cool thing. You see your name, you know, everybody sees your name, this and that. But, you know, when, once you kind of get moving through the system, everybody's pretty much at the same point, and it really doesn't matter, you know, who, who got drafted where. Obviously, there are some uh, some bonus babies in there that, you know, have a little more opportunities. But, you know, for the most part, everybody's trying to do what they can to, to make to the big leagues, and everyone tries to... Try to play at an even keel, I guess. Edwin Carl, pitcher for the Winnipeg Gold Ice here for us on Around the Diamond. Now, I want to ask you about, you know, one specific thing. In 2013, you had gone over to the Frontier League. Of course, the Frontier League is known as, quote-unquote, a young man's league. You're only 24 years old at that point, and uh, you have to be under 26, I believe, to play in the Frontier League. Uh, you went to Schaumburg. You only pitched two games there and then got signed right away by the Dodgers and went right back to A-ball. Yeah, I mean, I... I have a, my mom's from Chicago, so I have a lot of family around that area, and I had a couple guys that were previously playing there. So once I once I got released with the Royals, 
I, you know, I really didn't know what what the next step was, and I was getting tons of calls from independent teams, and really didn't know what the next step to take was. Uh, my buddy convinced me to head out there, and I could stay with some family, and then you know, I'd have a great setup, and ended up going out there. had a had a very short stint, and was lucky enough to uh, get signed with the Dodgers. Then you'd went back to Kansas City, and you'd played in Double A there. So, how did that transition? Was did you end up getting traded, or did you had signed, got released by the Dodgers, and then? Played with the Royals at? So actually, I, I signed with the Royals to begin with. And okay. And when I got released by them, then I went and played with the Dodgers. Well, there you have it. So right after that, in going down your career, you'd played in the Atlantic League. Now, for the listeners out there that don't know, the Atlantic League is known as you know a whole other animal. When you talk to other guys in, in the independent leagues and in the minor leagues, they say the, 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 um, the Atlantic League is AAA or even above. So what was that transition like for you, going from the minor league system into a huge league, different from Schaumburg in the Frontier League, going into the Atlantic League, which is, of course, known throughout the world as, or throughout the U.S. as another animal in, in terms of independent leagues? I mean, obviously it was different. I'm, I think going there, that's probably the, besides you know spring training and whatnot, that's probably the, the most big leaguers I've, I've actually spent with and got to play with, so... I mean, it was pretty cool. A lot of people come from a lot of different uh, backgrounds, and actually had two guys that I went to college with that were playing there. And once once the season got done in Winnipeg, they they called me up and wanted me to come to the playoffs and uh, headed over there. had a, had a great time, and that actually met some great people and ended up uh, finding out a guy there, big leaguer from Australia, and that you know that sent me out to to go play in Australia last winter. So that was pretty cool. So that's a little bit of a segue question to what I was actually going to ask you about is you played for Perf uh, in the Australian Baseball League. I have to ask you, there's a, I know one guy that played in Perf last year, and that was Junior Rojo. Did you kind of yeah. meet pass with him? Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, he was a late addition to the team. I think he was there uh, about the last month or so, and he kind of had a couple games, and then I, I believe he, he got hurt or had some, some kind of injury, so uh, he didn't get to get to play too too much with us but you know got to hang out with him quite a bit there's another another guy that he he kind of grew up with also from a cuban descent so um you know we we got to know each other pretty well and i mean you know, hopefully i i didn't get to see him this year anywhere but uh i might be down in miami in a couple months so maybe be able to see see a couple guys and him as well so of course if of course, for me, I know two two good friends that had been asked to go play with Perf in the Australian Baseball League. One being Daniel Codero of the Ottawa Champions, and Andrew Cooper, who uh, they they had lived with me over the summer. Um, if you could say one thing about the Australian Baseball League to describe, you know, the type of play style it is, the the competition there, what would you say? I mean, I I think it's very kind of comparable to some of the independent leagues over here. Obviously, the the growth of baseball in Australia is not as big as, as in the States. Obviously, a lot of those guys are trying to come over to the States and play. But the competition is is pretty good. I mean, there's a, b- a big league or two pretty much on every team and, you know, a handful of a minor league guys and, and some organizations. And But then you also get some guys who work every day and, you know, well, they're free during the weekend, so they'll, you know, they'll come out and play some games. And, and they, they happen to be pretty good, too. So it's, uh, it's pretty laid back environment but but i think the competition was pretty cool it's a, it a definitely a, a pretty amazing experience to say the least that's edwin carl of the winnipeg gold eyes joining us here on around the diamond now 
right after going to the Atlantic League, you'd went over to the Winnipeg Gold Eyes for your first stint with them and played some good baseball as a pitcher there. What kind of prompted you to go over to Winnipeg? And did, were you kind of, you know, kind of scared of coming to Canada? Because I believe it was your first time going out to, uh, I guess, over the border into Canadian soil and playing for a Canadian team. And at that time was, you know, one of five teams that were located in Canada. I mean, definitely. I was I was a little skeptical. I didn't really know much about about Winnipeg or about the Gold Eyes, and never heard of them before. You know, someone mentioned mentioned them to me, but uh, you know, I look I look once I I found out who they were, I looked in um, background and saw some guys that I played with and some in organ in uh, Major League Baseball and who played there and did very well and you know figured it probably wasn't the worst situation in, in that league and. Once I ended up going out there, I, I absolutely fell in love with the place and the front office and everything about the city. And, you know, I, 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 I looked really forward to going back this year. And, you know, I, we all, all had a great run and everything was perfect. Now, of course, I want to ask you about, in the early parts of your career, you were mostly a reliever in the minor leagues in AA with the, the Royals and with the Dodgers. When you came over to the Indy Leagues, especially in your first stint with Winnipeg, they had transitioned you over to starter. Was it your manager, Rick Forney, kind of saying to you, you know what, I think that you'd be better off being a starter, uh, especially with the stuff that you have? Or was it you kind of saying, eh, maybe it's time for change? Um, it was actually my call. I, I missed 2014. Um, well, actually, I missed yeah 2014 completely. So when I was coming back and trying to rehab and do everything for 2015, I figured, you know, I've started before. I like starting. It'll keep me on a regular schedule where I know I can manage, you know, my health and and figure out what I need to, to do to prepare myself for my next start. So I, I figured that'd be the best thing to do to get the most amount of innings and the most amount of people to see me, that kind of thing. And um, I think Rick Rick definitely likes me in the rotation and, I, I don't know if he'd ever want me back in the bullpen, but uh, you know everything's been been working out. So no, uh, of course I want to stay on the topic of you with the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. You guys had an excellent run, winning the championship, two Canadian teams uh, in two independent leagues. Of course, the American Association, the Can Am League, Ottawa Champions, and the Winnipeg Gold Eyes winning the championship. What was that like? What was that run for you? Because obviously an excellent moment for you guys, but it was really almost like Reggie Abercrombie kind of putting you guys on his shoulders and you know hitting the ball out of the ballpark like he did. I mean, yeah, Reggie's uh, Reggie's a pretty cool guy to be around, and obviously to, to be around him all season is something pretty special. And he's obviously played at the highest level and and knows a lot about the game. And you know, it's a it's a special thing when when most of the team sticks together the entire year and ends up winning a championship. I mean, I've been to the playoffs, I think almost every year in my professional career, and I never won a championship. So for it to pay off this year was was pretty amazing. And and Reggie's pregame speeches to get us pumped up or or something out of the movie. It was pretty incredible. That's Edwin Carl of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes here for us on Around the Diamond. Used to play uh, in the Royals and Dodgers system. Now, I want to go back to your days with the Royals when you played double-A and, and high-A with them. You'd played with some notable big-league names. Danny Duffy in the, in the bullpen, Kelvin Herrera. These are guys that are uh, huge parts of the Royals' bullpen. Uh, even Aaron Brooks, who I believe is with Oakland 
right now. What was it like to sit in the bullpen with those guys and now whenever you turn on a major league game and say, hey, you know what, I talked to this guy, I played with this guy for a long time? I mean, obviously it's pretty cool. I mean, seeing them win the World Series last year was, was pretty special. I mean, I, I came up with the majority of those guys through the minor leagues and to play with those guys for numerous years. So, I mean, it's good. I, I love the organization. Everybody, there's a it's first class. They they know what they're doing. They take very good care of everybody there. And, you know, it's happy to see that finally pay off for, for an organization like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see some of my boys out there uh, winning at the at the best in their at the level for sure. Now, Edwin, of course, you had mentioned to me off mic that you had, you know, some health problems in 2014, and you had mentioned earlier in the interview that you took 2014 off. What can you tell us about that situation there, taking time off, and what will really happen with your health conditions? Can you tell us the story about that? Yeah, I mean, 2014, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, re-signed with the Dodgers um, for the year. Got to spring. I, I was in Arizona early working out. Uh, spring training came around. I just I woke up one day. My knee was swollen, you know, I didn't really know what was going on. By the end of the week, my knee and my opposite foot were swollen. Things were progressively progressively getting worse. Um, going to doctors, really didn't know what, what we could do. Um, by the end of three weeks, a month, I mean, I, I physically couldn't walk. My both knees, both feet were, were so swollen, I literally couldn't stand on them to do anything. I couldn't shower. I couldn't, I really couldn't do anything, so... I had lots of help in wheelchairs and this and that. A lot of guys helped me out, try to put my clothes on, help me, you know, just get around the clubhouse and whatnot for spring training. So it's kind of a, a scary, scary situation because I, I didn't know what was going on. Nobody had ever heard of anything like this. The doctors I was seeing, specialists, had no idea what was going on. Um, so it took about three months for, for everything to kind of get situated. And uh, a specialist up in Colorado, pretty close to where I live, was was the one who, who kind of took control of everything and, you know, lost 60 pounds, you know, pretty much had to learn how to how to walk, mobility, strength, everything for, for pretty much an entire year. So uh, it was definitely, definitely, you know, hard hard on the body, hard on the mind. You know, I didn't know if baseball was going to be an option. So uh, definitely, definitely grateful that, that everything worked out and, and I'm at, this, at the point where I am today. And, you know, ba- baseball's still an option for me and I still feel good and I, I can compete at high levels so you know gonna try to give it all I can for for as long as I can and you know hopefully something good will happen and maybe get to the big leagues now of course I want to segue that question over to this since you know was that the reason why he had gone into the independent leagues because of that injury uh yeah because uh once I pretty much rehabbed and got myself back into the baseball shape I you know I called it you know, all the organizations I could, my agent did as much as he could, and nothing really happened. So, uh, Schomburg knew who I was, and, um, you know, they gave me the opportunity to, to kind of come back and, and see what was going to happen and, and where I was. So, I I ended up going over there, and things weren't weren't the best. I, you know, it was just a, a rough period of time of trying to figure out what I need to do and manage my health and this and that. And, um, you know, I didn't have the didn't have the best first half, but went up to Winnipeg and changed the scenery. I, I think kind of kind of shifted some things, and and uh, ever since then everything's been pretty good. Now I want to ask you about your goal playing baseball at this point. Of course, everyone's going to say that it's you know to make the major leagues, but our stories like for example this one here, Wilmer Font played in the big leagues with the Texas Rangers, was our ace here in Ottawa. 
and got injured, took almost two years off, came over to independent leagues, out of the, straight out of the big leagues after playing you know two parts of two seasons with the Texas Rangers as a closer, and came over to us, and then finally got picked up by the Jays. Or is, or is, is it stories like that that make you want to keep playing baseball and make you eventually you know say to yourself, I want to get picked up again one day? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I I've graduated college. I've you know I really don't have you know really anything lingering you know on my shoulders that I need to I need to finish or or, or instantly take care of. So uh, I do kind of have the luxury to, of, of being able to just play as long as I can and and you know as healthy as I I can be. Um, you know, my girlfriend's very supportive and and she's able to uh, to travel most places with me. She has. A, a remote business, so it's it's very easy for her to for her to travel as long as you know she can get on her computer. My, you know, my parents are also very supportive, and uh, you know, obviously you see you see some crazy stories throughout baseball, and, and crazy things happen, and you know, I guess you really never know what, what could happen. So, um, I really don't have everything else going on, but uh, you know, I, I I still enjoy playing baseball, and you know, at this point in my life, I think I still want to play. Now, my final question to you before we wrap things up is to ask you, I, I, mo- I asked most of my guests that come on the show, most baseball players, this, what, what are you doing in the offseason? What, what are you doing right now, whether it's a business, because I know some guys do have businesses, whether it's, you know, working part-time or just kind of, you know, chilling out? Well, I mean, right now, uh, I'm kind of in a, in a weird thing, because, I mean, obviously I can't really work or do anything while I'm, I'm in Canada. So, uh, I mean, right now I'm just kind of relaxing and, and chilling and taking some deep breaths. I mean, I haven't really... Really had an off season to to relax, so um, you know what? Probably once I get back to to the states, I'll probably start getting some lessons and, and some training in. And um, you know, I think firefighting might be be an option for me the uh, after baseball. So uh, I might do some do some of that this off season as well. Hey, thanks a lot, man. A pleasure. There you go. That was Edwin Carl of the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Thank you so much for coming on, and best of luck in the off season. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the only baseball show in Ottawa. You're listening to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. Ottawa's new music. Before, we were talking with Edwin Carl, who is a pitcher for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Great talk with him. Once again, Corey joins me back in studio uh, to have a little debate and talk about the Gold Glove finalists, Corey. And of course, a couple new names, but a lot of familiar names on this list. Yeah, and uh, and when uh, when we go through the list, how about we just go through the list, Dante? I'll say the three guys at the position. I'll say if any of them have won a Golden Glove, and then uh, and then we maybe pick the Gold Glove winner at that position. So Sounds we'll start good. with the American League Classic Blue Jays. Uh, we'll go catcher to begin with uh, James McCann of the Tigers, Carlos Perez of the Angels, Salvador Perez of the Royals. The only winner in this category, he has three of them. I, I just I don't like going back with like guys who have won it before, so I'm gonna have to. I don't think Carlos Perez deserves it because uh, Giovanni Soto was also a catcher with the Angels. Um, it's tough. I'll, I'll go Salvador Perez. I it's think he's the best Salvador uh, all around catcher in the American League, and and from Venezuela it doesn't get much better. Yeah, not Puerto Rican this time. Give him number four then. Um, okay, first base, we've got Chris Davis of the Royals, Eric Hosmer, uh, excuse me, Chris Davis of the Orioles, Eric Hosmer of the Royals, Mitch Moreland 
of the Rangers. Chris Davis, baby. That's I'm going, an interesting pick. I'm going Chris Davis. He's kinda, actually a really good first baseman. I kind of like Mitch Moreland as a pick here, you know? Kind of out of nowhere, wins his first gold glove. Well, he shouldn't, like have, he shouldn't have made that mistake in the playoffs against the Jays. That's true. Although, uh, nice throw, or not a very nice throw by Rugnet Odor on that play. Talking, speaking about second baseman, we have Robinson Cano from the Mariners, already has two. Ian Kinsler from the Tigers, and Dustin Pedroia, who has four. I kind of like Ian Kinsler in with two guys who already have him. Ian Kinsler does not have one. I kind of like Kinsler. I think Kinsler's a good pick because Kinsler, you know, he does so many things on the def- defensive side of things that people don't really understand. He's a guy who's going to hit, hit 300 every year. We know that. Or 290. going to hit 300, going to have 20 home runs. But one thing that people don't realize is that Ian Kinsler is a very, very good defender. Very smart baseball player as well. Very, very smart. I mean, I've seen so many. If you if you search up videos on YouTube of guys that just let the ball drop in front of them so they can turn a double play, he does that all the time. Does it all the time. I'm uh, surprised. Uh, I'm surprised uh, Altuve's not on that list. I mean, and a possible MVP candidate as well. So you're right. That's, that's yeah. a little interesting. He's not on the list. We move to shortstop. Jose Iglesias of the Tigers. Francisco Lindor of the Indians. And Drelton Simmon of the Angels. Already has two. I, I know. an easy one. I'll go Lindor. Oh, I was going to go Lindor, but I thought you were going to take Simmons because he's, uh, he's a Curacao guy. Big, big Simmons guy. But he did take a bit of a step back this year. His yeah, defense big was step back. was uh, uh, was was excellent as always. But I think Lindor is the guy to look at. Yeah, Simmons two gold gloves. Jose Iglesias not a big fan of him. I'm gonna go with Francisco Lindor. We got the Cuban, we got the Curacao, and we got the Puerto Rican in this matchup. Third base, all of these guys already have a gold glove. Adrian Beltre of the Rangers oh. has four. Manny Machado of the Orioles has two. Kyle Seager of the Mariners has one. I'll go Machado. I, I think he's the best at the, uh, at the hot corner. I, I'm going to go to my boy, Adrian Beltre. Adrian Beltre, Dominican guy, one of the weirdest guys, just a big fan of the way he plays the game. Well, and amazing that he still does it at his age as well as he does. Okay, looking in left field, Brett Gardner of the Yankees, Alex Gordon of the Royals, Colby Rasmus of the Astros. I'll go Brett Gardner. I think he's one of the most underrated guys in baseball. Uh, he's been with the Yankees forever, does not have a gold glove yet. I love Brett Gardner. Colby Rasmus is my pick. The reason is is because he arm. had 12 defensive run saves. He was a center fielder with the Jays, didn't really pan out, plays left field for the Astros, and does an excellent job. Now, I was talking with Taub Steeb uh, earlier um, in the show, and he had said that, you know, Gardner and Rasmus should be two guys that are big, big picks for not only left fielder, but just an outfield in general. They were, you know, Gardner, excellent in defensive run save, but has very good roots to the ball, whereas Rasmus uh, throws out a lot of runners at home plate because guys are going second to home on a base hit to left field. Mm-hmm. Um, center field, this one's interesting. Jackie Bradley Jr. of the Red Sox, Kevin Kermeyer of the Rays won last year. Kevin Pillar of the Blue Jays. I don't think there's going to be much debate between us on this one. I think it's Kevin Pillar. To no, get his first you, I don't don't agree at all. Interesting. I don't agree. Uh, Jackie Bradley. I was really upset when when the Red Sox sent down Jackie Bradley Jr. when they acquired Yoenis Cespedes a few years ago. Jackie Bradley Jr. going down to the minor leagues had 14 outfield assists in center field. He hit under 220, but was an excellent defender. Didn't win a Gold Glove. Because he was leading the American League in outfield assists a few years ago. Didn't win a gold glove because he got sent down to the minor league. So I think it's about time that he actually gets one. 
Um, I think it's very interesting uh, with Bradley, too. A bit of a better arm than Pilar, but also he's got to play in a lot tougher of a stadium for center field. The triangle, baby. You've got that weird triangle in the in right center at Fenway Park. Him and Mookie Betts both have to deal with it. And that brings us to right field, where we have Mookie Betts. We have Adam Eaton. We have George Springer of the Astros. None of these guys have one yet. Um, I'm interested to hear what you say here, but for the same reason that you picked Jackie Bradley, I'll go Mookie I'm going to take Mookie Betts as well. That has a tough time with that right field in, in Boston. But, I mean, I do like Adam Eden. He was a center fielder before, but not a center fielder anymore. I think Mookie's a really good pick in this one, although all those guys in right field have a cannon of an arm. Although I don't think Adam Eden has the biggest arm out of the two. Uh, Eden's more of a you know a speed guy. Uh, we come to the pitcher position. Are a Dickey of the Toronto Blue Jays already has a um, a Gold Glove Award. Dallas Keuchel of the Astros, Justin Verlander of the Tigers. Without knowing much in this category, uh, I will go Dallas Keuchel. He had an off-year pitching, still a very good defender. Yeah, Dallas Keuchel deserves one, although I, I think I'm probably going to say Justin Verlander just because he doesn't have a Gold Glove at all. Okay. Uh, do we have enough time to do the National League? Oh, yeah, we have lots. Real quick? Okay, a lot of time. so let's go to the National League. We start with catcher. And uh, I'm not going to vote for him simply because he also played for two teams and he kind of abandoned his first team, Jonathan Lucroy of the Brewers. Then you have Yadier Molina of the Cardinals, Buster Posey of the Giants. Posey, Molina has eight gold gloves. I don't see any reason why he shouldn't have number nine. Come on. I'm a big Giants guy. I'll go Molina for number nine. I'm a big Giants guy, too, and that's why I'm taking Buster Posey, baby. He's, He's the man. He's the man. He does it all. Yadier Molina's the defender. We now, move. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Now, I just wanted to mention, just by looking at this first base list, looks very interesting. Yeah, we move to first base. Paul Goldschmidt of the Diamondbacks has two. Will Myers of the Padre. Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs. Rizzo. I agree. I think Rizzo, uh, uh, as much as everyone wants to see Chris Bryant, you see a lot of people saying Chris Bryant should be the MVP. I think Anthony Rizzo should be the MVP. Just Anthony Rizzo does so many things defensively that you know he has a, he has a good arm, left-handed bat in the order that really complements everyone else. But he plays excellent defense. This guy's diving into the stands. He's picking everything at first base. Really good defender and a really good guy. Uh, not only when throwing out runners, but definitely does a good job at picking it. Paul Goldschmidt could easily win that as well, though. Second base, we have DJ LeMahieu won it last year with the Rockies. Joe Panic of the Giants. Gene Segura, another former shortstop of the Diamondbacks. I kind of like Segura here, don't they? I'm going to take DJ LeMahieu. Again, this excellent defender does everything right. Does I believe didn't make an error all season. Well, think about that Rockies defense when you add in Nolan Arenado. Um, uh, just such a good infield defense for the uh, for the Colorado Rockies. No, you're right about that. And, you know, Arenado and LeMahieu, I think Arenado wins third base, but. Well, and we move to, let's skip to third base just because we're talking about Arenado. Uh, Won it last year, now has three. Anthony Rondon of the Nationals, Justin Turner of the Dodgers. I want to give it to Rondon, but it has to be Arenado. No, it's going to be Arenado, this really good defender. I'm surprised to see Justin Turner on there. Although he played his first full, really full, full season uh, at third base, um, Arenado is definitely a really, really good pick at third. By far, I think he's going to go down the road and win 10 gold gloves by the end of his career. Um, then we have at shortstop, Brandon Crawford of the Giants, Freddie Galvis of the Phillies, Addison Russell of the Cubs, 
This is where I'll go Giants. I say Beecroft. Nah, I'm going to go and take Addison Russell. Really, really good defensive season this year. Had a lot of RBIs on the offensive side. Really complimented uh, the... the what was I going to say? They really complimented um, the Cubs defense there. And, I mean, I think going back to Crawford, I didn't take Joe Panic. Panic and Crawford had a really good double play combination. I'm going to have to go um, with my man. That's the shortstop, Addison Russell. We move to the left field position. Adam Duvall, rookie with the Reds. Sterling Marte of the Pirates. Kristen Yelich of the Marlins. Uh, Kristen Yelich may be a bit of a better arm, but to me, Sterling Marte makes things happen in well, left field. I uh, like Sterling Marte. Sterling Marte. Ever seen that catch? Search up Sterling Marte catch on YouTube and you'll see. This guy is an, a really good defender, has an excellent arm, could very well be a center fielder uh, in this league. You look at two of the top left fielders, Alex Gordon and Sterling Marte are at the top of it. Can't go wrong with him. All right, so we move to center field. This one's interesting. None of these guys has a gold glove yet. I think all of them could win multiple gold gloves. Billy Hamilton of the Reds, Odubel Herrera of the Phillies, Ender Inciarte of the Braves. Inciarte. See, I like, I really like Billy Hamilton. Doesn't have the arm of Inciarte, no. but covers way more ground. Yeah, Inciarte, a former right fielder, um, has a really good arm, but is an excellent defender. You just like Inciarte because he's always on your MLB The Show teams. Um, well, he is, but I think... Well, he actually played really good for me in the MLB The Show. But anyways... Yeah, see, we found your bias. Yeah. We found your bias. Andy say, I actually, I'm going to go back to this one. I was watching um, a game. It was Mets and uh, Braves. Inciarte jumped the wall and robbed Cespedes of a home run, which he thought was a no-doubter. They would have won the game by two. I mean, you want to see jumping catches, though. Look at some of the yeah. highlights this year. He was all over the place, and uh, his speed is just such an equalizer in center field. We move to right field. Carlos Gonzalez of the Rockies already has three. Jason Hayward of the Cubs already have, has three. Nick Markakis of the Braves has two. Now, I'm going with my boy Cargo. I know you're a Cargo guy. I kind of like Markakis here. Ah, man, I don't I mean, like Markakis. Here, this is where I'll go with a, a Brave for you. Oh, man. Listen, I know Marques is a really good defender, has one of the best arms in the league, but maybe he should have threw out uh, around the diamond alumni Antoine Richardson at home plate. <laughs> um, and finally, we come to the pitcher position, Jake Arrieta of the Cubs. Yeah. We have Zach Grinke of the Diamondbacks. No. Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals. No. I think it's Arrieta. Doesn't do have a gold glove. Really, really good defender. Um, does a lot of things right. He's very a smart. Big difference between him and John Lester. Uh, well, <laughs> Lester always finds a way to throw his glove to first base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John but no, Lester. I think I think Arietta's a good pick there. Um, see, I kind of like Adam Wainwright um, uh, in that position as well. Arietta took a bit of a step back, but like we said earlier, maybe took a step back with the pitching, but still a a very good defender. Interesting of note, Dante. No Javier Baez anywhere on yeah, this Yeah, I was going to say that. Because he didn't really have a single position this year. Chris Bryant also not there. Uh, Chris Bryant's not an unbelievable defender. That's why I think Anthony Rizzo should be the MVP this season. Wow. I think Anthony Rizzo's a much better but defender But yeah, than Javier Bryant. Baez not on the list. Um, Do, would you replace anyone on the national team list with Javier Baez? Yes. Maybe Gene Segura? Freddie Galvis. No, no. But like Fred, we already said that Brandon, pick a winner. That you picked and replace Javier Baez with that if you think Baez deserves one. I say Gene Segura probably. Yeah. 
Yeah, Gene Segura probably definitely. I know you like DJ LeMahieu at second. So would you replace Javier Baez? I would would choose Baez over LeMahieu. There you go. Just because LeMahieu just did so many. I mean, he's a good player. He's just so under the radar. I think just with the way the Cubs season that he would win it if Baez was on the list. Uh, But with that, Corey did an excellent job uh, hosting this final segment. But that means we're going to have to end it here. Great show, Corey. Once again, pleasure to have you in here to talk a little bit about the playoffs and uh, to talk about the Gold Glove finalist. It was nice to see you. Yeah, sorry I couldn't uh, couldn't join you for the interviews, but I always love talking a little baseball with you, Dante. Always, always, always nice to have Mr. Messon here. That's going to wrap up the October 29th edition of Around the Diamond. Halloween is just around the corner. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow myself on Twitter at Diamond Dante Audio. Corey, former inside man. Um, next week, going to be good. We're going to be joined with Reggie Abercrombie. Played three years in the big leagues and was a big impact with the Florida Marlins in 2006. He's going to join us from the Gold Eyes next week. Thank you so much for listening to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 1079. Stay tuned for next week's episode.